the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Adele Douglas, Chief Executive Officer of Humane Farm Animal Care and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer WNYM in New York City. When in the meat or dairy aisle at the grocery store, have you ever seen the label that reads, Certified Humane, Raised and Handled? Have you wondered when and how the certification process got started? Well, tonight, we'll find out directly from the person who started it. She is Adele Douglas, the founder and CEO of Humane Farm Animal Care. Good evening, Adele, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Share with us the mission and goals of Humane Farm Animal Care. Well, the mission is uh, we're a nonprofit certification organization dedicated to improving the lives of farm animals in food production from birth through slaughter. The goal of the program is to improve the lives of farm animals by driving consumer demand for kinder and more responsible farm animal practices. When you see the certified humane raised and handled label on a product, you can be assured that the food products have come from facilities that meet precise, objective standards for farm animal treatment. Now, you were raised in New York City, Adele, Mm -hmm. and not on the farm. So what got you interested in this subject, and was there a moment when you decided that something had to be done? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I was, uh, I worked for a member of Congress, and then I lobbied uh, Congress on behalf of children and animals, and uh, I was asked in the late 90s to be part of various animal welfare committees, and they figured, well, she doesn't know anything about farm animals, so we can do whatever we want. Well, it didn't work out that way um, because I was, when I went and saw how chickens were, how hens were in cages and they couldn't move, they couldn't stand up, they couldn't sit down at the same time, I was appalled. Mm -hmm. I thought if consumers knew this, they wouldn't buy this food. So um, I, and I asked friends who were scientists to show me the opposite, to show me different ways animals are raised. And that was very uh, inspirational. And I thought, well, I, um, you know, I've got to do something to help farm animals, and this helps farmers and it helps consumers. So therefore, who would object to this? So, um, and you know, at, and I needed uh, money to start it, so I cashed in my four hundred one k. So I had money, and then I got funding. I got some funding from uh, HSUS, from ASPCA. Um, and um, and that was for a, you know four or five years and um, and we've been on our own ever since. Yeah. In addition to some of those horrific conditions you just spoke about, what should consumers be aware of as it relates to hormones and antibiotics in the meat that they eat? Well, we don't allow hormones under any circumstances because all the hormones do for the animals is make them grow faster, but. But the people who eat the meat with the hormones in them, 
um, develop sensitivities because cattle are given estrogen, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and antibiotics, we don't allow antibiotics except on a rare occasion if there's a sick animal and a veterinarian recommends it. They keep lots of records for that animal. They wait until the animal um, has, um, you know, outgrown the, the antibiotics. So we allow that, but we don't – a lot of farmers do um, – uh, antibiotics in order to prevent any potential diseases, and we don't allow that. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide on a certification process and not an act of legislation uh, as a way to address this problem? Well, I used to work for a member of Congress from New York, actually, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Green, right. and um, and it and I remember studying. It took a hundred years to get the Humane Slaughter Act passed, which had been passed in Europe years and years and years mm-hmm. before. So I thought I would like to be alive when this happens. <laughs> so that was the reason for that. <laughs> Makes an awful lot of sense. Well, to have your product labeled as certified humane, you have to meet a certain specific set of standards. How did you come up and develop these standards? Well, we uh, I had some friends who were uh, animal scientists because I had worked with them on other issues. And I asked them how they would feel if we did this and could they help. And they said yes. And so we now have a 40-member uh, International Animal Science Committee. Wow. And the standards are written based on scientific data. And if there's a question, if there's no research, we will go with what is the most ethical. Mm-hmm. And that's what the standards are like. And we change them every few years. You know, we we um, upgrade them, you know. So, uh, but really, it, they're very effective, the standards. And it, again, it's birth through slaughter. So in some instances where you have pigs, you know, they're born in one area, they're raised in another, they go to slaughter, and so everything has to be inspected. And there's different inspectors for different things. Um, for example, one of the things we learned early on is that the animals uh, – uh, well, let me just go back for a second. Our uh, inspectors have to have a master's or a Ph.D. in animal science, very specific animals, or veterinarians that are ver- have very specific background. So um, when they would love to, you know, go to the farms and see the animals, but they weren't interested in slaughter. Most of them weren't interested in slaughter, mm-hmm. and most of them were not interested in, uh, you know, f- counting, actually, because we have to do a um, um, a check on, you know, making sure that the animals that have the label uh, have gone through the whole thing. So there's it's a lot of numbers, and they weren't interested in that. So we have three different types of inspectors. We have um, the farm animal inspectors okay. on the farm. We have the slaughter inspectors, and we have those who do the, um, you know, the tally to make sure that the... Uh, um, the logo goes on the right animals, okay? So from the time it's slaughtered and then the time it goes to the stores and stuff, it's uh, you have to be a brilliant mathematician. So, <laughs> A pretty thorough process. How often are these inspections carried out? Every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every year. Everyone on the program has to reapply uh, just like it's new, yeah. and, um, and, the, and the whole thing is done. Do most of the farmers reapply? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We had some farmers who were original from two, the 2003, the year we started this. Um, Pete and Jerry's eggs, 
um, Dubreton natural pork, um, Prather Ranch beef, um, and Ayrshire Farm out in Virginia. Those four are still with us. Very cool. How do you go around engaging these farmers, educate them, uh, telling them what it means to be certified humane, and then getting them to sign up for the program? Well, mostly, once we started, um, the farmers would contact us and ask us questions because they were in a tough position. They were interested because they, you know, were willing to make whatever changes necessary, but they were concerned about how their peers would react to them being on the program. So that was tough at the beginning. Hmm. But our... um, What was their concern about their peers? Well, uh, we had a beef guy who was so worried that if he came on the program, his peers would attack him and attack his product because they, you know, most of the cattle people weren't interested. So um, that's all changed. But at the beginning, that was a tough one. Plus, our inspectors, one of the things I learned uh, from the beginning was that um, uh, there's a lot of research on animals, a lot of research at agricultural schools, but that never gets to the farmer. Yeah. And and if you send him the, you know, the the scientific paper, they fall asleep reading it. (laughs) Because believe me, I used to fall asleep reading it. So our inspectors, you know, again, they're all animal scientists, have PhDs or Mm. masters. If they go on a farm and they see something, they'll say to the farmer, by the way, there are uh, other farmers who do something similar than what you're doing or do something different, and it's effective, and this is why, and this is the research. So part of the inspection is education, too. Yeah, yeah. You have said that this certification process provides a triple win. Who, what would those three victories be? That would be A for the animals, yeah. B for the consumers, and uh, for, for the farmers, mm-hmm. and C for the consumers. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought that that who would oppose? I mean, what a great thing that was. Well, everybody opposed it. So, I mean, you know, the commodity groups, and also there were a lot of animal rights groups that their objective was to ha- not eat any meat or anything like that. And so, why would they not attack us? Because we're saying. You know, that uh, here are the rules. But we found that only 96% of Americans are are, um, vegetarians. And I don't know what percent of that are vegans. And so while they're doing their thing, we want to make sure the animals are treated humanely, you know, that they're able to do the things that are natural for them. Yeah. What's that level of opposition today? Is it subsided or is it still very much present? Um. Well, there's, there are a couple of super animal rights groups that constantly attack us. But on our blog, on our website, I, I've done, you know, responses, mm-hmm. you know, very factual responses. So, um, you know, it's uh, – but and the commodity groups don't bother us. I mean, they, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how does being certified humane uh, impact the price uh, for the consumer at the grocery store? Well – when we did a study about this about five years ago, it was between the commodity and organic. It was in the middle. Oh, interesting. So, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't as high as organic and it wasn't as um, as low as commodity uh, products. Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago that you started this back in 2003. Uh, how big has this movement grown in terms of farms involved, uh, stores and restaurants, countries you're in, and so on? Well, if you give me one second here, I wrote notes last night to give you the facts. So um, we started uh, in the end of 2003. We had 143,000 animals on the program. 
And last year, the end of 2018, we had uh, over 196 million farm animals. That's some kind of growth. And that's that's just for the year. Mm-hmm. That's not a total. The total is like a billion. But and we have farms. We uh, we've grown, and we have um, an office in Florianopolis, Brazil, and we have um, farms in Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Chile, Colombia. Um, Mexico, Jordan, New Zealand, Peru, the United States, and Uruguay. Mm-hmm. And we're selling certified humane products in uh, uh, the Bahamas, Malaysia, and Singapore. So it's so grown. We've grown. <laughs> yeah. we've, re- we've really grown. Where would a listener find a certified humane product? Will it be at their local grocery store? Do they have to go to specialty stores? Essentially, where are they carried? Well, uh, consumers used to ask that question when we first started. So we set up. If you go to our website and you look for where can I buy, we have a list of supermarkets. You type in your state, your city, whatever, and mm-hmm. it will list the supermarkets and what products are in the supermarkets that are certified humane so that you're not walking around looking for the label <laughs> all the time. So, Yeah, very user-friendly, I must say. It is very user-friendly. Uh, Adele, how do you finance this operation? Is it a mix of earned income, philanthropy? Tell us a little bit about uh, that it's business model. Do- it's donations. We do get we do get a, a small amount in uh, fees, okay? And th- we charge for the inspection, but we charge, I think, $700 a day, per, not per farm, but for the day. So if you have three farms in the same area and they're small, they'll, they'll split the $700. If it's a small farm, we don't charge anything, okay, because they can't, you know, the mm-hmm. producer can't afford it. Um, so, and we have fees. The fees aren't that high. And we, and contributions, mostly contributions and how we, um, you know, broadcast how we uh, spread the information, and uh, that's that's what we do. Who are some of your key donors? Um, you know, I don't know. Who okay, now we'll, we, I'll, okay. I'll skip that. Up. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, you had mentioned uh, a moment ago, Adele, that you started this back in 2003. I mean, you cashed in your 401k. I did. I, did. So I, did. I, think, I think you it, called it a moment of insanity. <laughs> it was actually a moment of insanity. But And I have to say, uh, for anybody who's interested in doing something like this, I was working. I worked from my apartment, and I worked uh, seven days a week, at least 18 hours a day, getting mm-hmm. it started. And so... Um, you know, you I and I would every once in a while I would stop and I would actually think about what my goal was, and then I would panic, and so I'd go back to work. So uh, you know, working distracted me from uh, all of the things I would be afraid of, um, and I made up my mind that if we didn't raise any funds and we couldn't do it, I would you know get a job. I mm-hmm. would just get a job. So I was fifty-seven at the time. Wow. So Yeah, and you were going to give it your all, though. You were not going to leave anything in the bag. Actually, you were going to give it everything you had, so and, you really knew. And that's, and, and that's true. The other thing is, what I didn't know, I had friends. I would call and say, do you know about this? And they would say, no, but let me call so-and-so and have them call you. The most important thing in any business is knowing what you don't know yeah. and asking people who really do know, you know what the answers are. So you can move forward. That's a great point because there's so many people, I think, who are afraid to ask. And uh, when they do, they find out how willing people are to want to help them and share their information. And and I found that, that they were very, very willing. And, again, the, the thing is not to 
I don't know how to say this. It's not to, you know, prove that you're so smart that they can't help you. The more that you need to know, the more you ask and the more information that you get. And then you can rethink, you can redesign, you you can move forward with whatever it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Let me close with this, Adele. Where do you think the industry might be going? Um, You know, we hear a lot about uh, plant-based meats. So, on one hand, is there going to be a day, perhaps, when there's no farm animals on our our, uh, our table? And what else do you think the future might hold as far as uh, your work is concerned? Well, w- the one thing I will say is that a lot of the farms and farmers have changed. They've changed how they do things to meet the standards. They really have done uh, a big thing. In terms of the artificial meat, you know, I don't know. If people want to eat that rather than meat, then that's fine. They mm-hmm. can do that. They can buy that. Um, you know, so I'm not sure where that's going to go. And if people don't want to eat animals at some point, um, that's fine. I mean, we're not here to, you know, force animals to be part of the dinner. You yeah, know, it's yeah. not it's not our goal. Mm-hmm. Well, Adele Douglas, the Chief Executive Officer of the Humane Farm Animal Care, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. For people who are interested in learning more about Certified Humane, tell us about your website and uh, some of the information you have on it. Okay. Our website is certifiedhumane.org. One word, certifiedhumane.org. And we try to be very transparent. So everything you want to know is on that website. The standards, the applications, uh, the um, the staff, the board of directors, the uh past there's news releases that we put out from 2003 and they're all on there so we try to be very very transparent so anything you need to know is there if you can't find something call us well there you go so that's pretty transparent right there well thanks adele it was a real pleasure to have you on the show well thank you for having me i appreciate that i'll be back with more of the business of giving right after this The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at BizOfGive on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash BusinessOfGiving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.